Our sermon text for this morning comes from Matthew 13. We'll be reading verses 24 to 43 and verses 47 to 50. As we come to God's word, let's pray together. Father, we do uh, long to hear from you again this morning. We long to to receive your grace. Uh, We long to hear of our Savior Jesus. We long to be strengthened in our faith in you. We pray that you would use this text, these words on this page, uh, to, uh, by your spirit, renew us and refresh us and to draw us close to you again. Uh, Bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And we'll skip down to verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we all want justice. Anytime you hear a child cry out, that's not fair. He stole my toy. Or anytime you hear an adult cry out, that's not fair. It's a cry for justice. 
We have this sense that something is wrong with the world. There's a way that the world should be, but often is not. When that brokenness impacts our lives, we we cry out for justice. And this may be on a large scale, right, as when large groups of people cry for justice when someone is murdered in their community. Or it may be on a small scale when I feel like you've wronged me in some way and I ask you to make it right. Well, we've been reading through the book of Matthew for some months now, and Matthew talks a lot about God's kingdom. God's kingdom in Scripture is is God's rule or God's authority or God's justice. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he means the restoration of justice is at hand. In the the beginning of the world, there was perfect justice, right? God made the world. He ruled the world. He he created humanity to live together in justice and in harmony and in peace. We have rejected God's rule, and so we've rejected justice. We've tried to live life our own way as if there were no rules, no judge, no accountability, essentially no justice. And as a result, we've made a mess out of the world in which we live. Well, when Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. He means the renewal of justice is here. God's going to make things right. The judge has come. And we've said repeatedly as we've looked through Matthew that God's kingdom is the renewal of all things under God's rule. And that includes the renewal of justice. God is going to put things right. This brings up the question about God's kingdom, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. If God's kingdom is the renewing of all things and the restoration of justice, and if Jesus brought God's kingdom, where's the justice? Why is there so much injustice in the world? Why is there so much injustice in our lives? Two weeks ago, we told the story of a New York rabbi who, when he was told that Jesus was the Messiah, he he looked out the window at the city with all of its injustice, all of its corruption, all of its oppression, and he says, no, when the Messiah comes, there will be justice. So the question then is, well, did, did Jesus really bring God's kingdom? Is Jesus the Messiah, who he claimed to be? Or or was Jesus wrong? Was his work all a waste? Or was it the beginning of something new in the world? We all have to answer that question. We have to wrestle with that question. Even that tension between the fact that Jesus here, he is as the Messiah, and yet there's injustice in the world. What's, What's going on? It seems like Jesus' work should have done more. If Jesus came to renew the world and bring justice to the earth, why is there so much sin and corruption and injustice still around. Well, we're going to look at three things this morning that will help us at least begin to answer that question. Uh, We're going to look at the certainty of Jesus' justice or the assurance that Jesus gives of his justice. We're going to look at the blessing of Jesus' patience, and we're going to look at the triumph of Jesus' kingdom. First, we'll talk about the certainty of Jesus' justice. Uh, Jesus begins this section by telling a parable. A parable is a, is a story with some kind of a deeper meaning in it. It could be really short, could be a little bit longer. Uh, there are a variety in the scriptures, even in our scripture passage this morning. But Jesus starts out by telling the parable of the weeds. And this, this parable, in this parable, a man sows good seed in his field. When he goes to bed, an enemy comes and sows bad seed. And eventually, as the two seeds grow, it becomes obvious that there are weeds mixed in with the wheat. 
The man's servants come and they wonder, how did all these weeds get here and should we tear them up? The master rightly knows that an enemy has sowed in these weeds and he says that they are to leave them. They are to leave them lest in pulling up the weeds they harm the wheat as well. So rather, right, they are to let the two grow together until harvest time and at harvest time the weeds will be burned and the wheat will be gathered into the barn. Well, the disciples hear this story and they don't get it, right? They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And so they ask him in verse 36, they say, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus begins to explain then in verse 37, he says, the one who sows <clears throat> the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and he goes on. See, in Jesus' parable, he's saying the field is the world. And the good seed are those who belong to Jesus, those who belong to the Son of Man, those who are a part of his kingdom, those who are a part of his way of doing things. These are people who submit to Jesus as king, who, who recognize that God is the ruler of the world, who seek to live as, as God would have them live. The, the weeds, on the other hand, Jesus says, are the sons of the evil one, the devil. These are people who reject God as king, who seek to live life their own way. And we may not recognize them as evil people, right? Uh, they may be very good outwardly. They may be morally upright, or they may not be. But their distinguishing characteristic is that they reject God as their king. They think they are autonomous. They think they are a rule or a law unto themselves. The harvest, Jesus says, is the end of the age, the day of judgment, when the weeds and the wheat will be separated. So the coming of the kingdom is the coming of judgment. Now, this really isn't anything new in Matthew because this is what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3. You may remember Matthew chapter 3. Matthew said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he warned that the axe is laid at the root. He said, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he warned that Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist, even echoing Jesus' words here, too, taught the com that the coming of the kingdom would be the coming of judgment. Now, this is the scary part of justice, isn't it? I mean, justice requires judgment. Those who do right are rewarded. Those who have done wrong are punished. That's justice. Justice is when everyone gets what they deserve. Well, if Jesus' explanation of the parable of the weeds wasn't enough, he tells another parable just to emphasize his point in verses 47 to 50. Verse 47, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice uh, the similarity of these two parables. Uh, in both, there's a good and a bad element, right? There's the, the good and bad seed, the wheat and the weeds in the first parable. Then there's the good and bad fish in the second parable. 
Uh, in both, there's a time of gathering together, which culminates in, in the two things being separated, the separation of the wheat from the weeds, the separation of the good fish from the bad. And then there's the judgment of those whom Jesus calls in the first parable, all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And in the second parable, the evil ones. Jesus emphasizes in these two parables the certainty of a final separation and judgment. Now, sometimes people get upset with Christians for always talking about judgment. And the truth of the matter is, I probably would never talk about judgment if it weren't for the fact that Jesus talked about it first. In fact, Jesus talks about judgment or hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And there are lots of people who are against Christianity for various reasons, but they're often nevertheless pro-Jesus, right? Because Jesus is such a compelling character. And so it's important then, if, if, even if you're not interested in, in listening to what Christians have to say, to listen to what Jesus has to say here about judgment. Now, interestingly enough, while in our culture we are upset by the idea of Jesus bringing judgment and so justice... John the Baptist was upset, or at least confused, that Jesus hadn't brought judgment. You may remember, uh, well, to put it in modern terms, right, if if modern social liberals, right, are against the thought of of any justice that includes judgment, uh, John the Baptist is is like an ultra-conservative, right, who's ready to smite the evildoers. And John the Baptist comes and he's wondering, right, Jesus, if you came to renew the world, where's the judgment, you know, or, or we might say, why is there still so much injustice in the world? And Jesus' answer is that he's being patient with us. This brings us to the second point, the blessing of Jesus' patience. If we look back at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, right, the field workers, they ask this man if they should tear up the weeds. And the man's answer is what is so important here. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, the man says, no lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now notice the concern that this man has for his wheat. The the concern is that if you pull up the weeds, you will also pull up the wheat and hence harm it. So you have to wait until the wheat is ready and then pull them both up. Or to to put it in in terms of Jesus' explanation, right? If the judgment were to come right now, it would hurt everybody, both the weeds and the wheat. If justice were to come at this very moment, both the people who belong to Satan and the people who belong to Jesus would be harmed. That's what he's saying. Why is this so? You know, justice is one of those things. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, we can't live without it, but we can't really live with it either. We want justice because we want the world to be put right. Justice always comes, though, by the way of judgment. It may be an individual doing the judging as in a court of law. It may be a community as in the idea behind restorative justice. But there's always judgment. If someone smashes into your car in a hit and run, you want justice. And you want this person to, at the very least, be held accountable and pay to fix your car. That requires the police to find that person and a judge to try and convict them. Justice requires judgment. But while we like the idea of justice, we're a bit uncomfortable with the idea of judgment. To judge somebody, it's kind of a dirty word in our culture, right? We, we promote tolerance, not judgment. But without judgment, there's, there's no justice. 
But if there is judgment, then the question becomes, judgment by whose standard? You know, um, sometimes we look to the law as our standard. We look for legal justice. But oftentimes the law doesn't ensure justice. I mean, there are things that the law doesn't cover, and, and there are always loopholes. And so if we look at the law and realize, no, you can't always have justice by the law, it shows that you have a higher standard besides the law as your standard of justice. The Bible teaches that the ultimate standard, which God has written on all of our hearts, is God's law. Not man's law, but God's law. The Bible also teaches that we all fall short of this standard. We come under then the judgment or the condemnation of God's law. And this is why we can't live without justice, but we can't live with it either. This is why we love the idea of justice, but we hate the idea of judgment. You know, consider, think about when, when, when I first started talking about the word judgment and I said that word a couple of times, think about your gut reaction, right? Your, your, the initial way your heart responds, we, we kind of cringe a little bit. Why is that? I think part of the reason is that we know we're all guilty and we're scared. We don't want to be judged, Because we know that if we are, we'll fall short. We want justice when we're wronged, right? When somebody does something wrong to us, we want justice according to our personal standard. But if there is justice according to to a higher standard, then we ourselves fall under condemnation. See, we can't live without justice. We want it when we're wronged, but we can't live with it either. We love the idea of justice, but we hate the idea of judgment. But the two go hand in hand, necessarily. And this is why the coming of God's kingdom is not an unqualified good. If God comes to restore justice and you and I are found guilty of rejecting God, then then we fall under the condemnation of the king. The prophets often warned against this again and again. They, They warned against God's people seeking the coming of the kingdom or seeking the day of the Lord. We read a passage in Isaiah or in Amos earlier where Amos warns. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned against the wall and and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? See, Amos is warning God's people from seeking the day of the Lord, from seeking the day of judgment. Now, John the Baptist, right, he knew that Jesus was the king of God's kingdom He knew that Jesus came to bring God's kingdom. He he wanted Jesus to bring justice along with that judgment. And remember, he said that Jesus was going to bring fire. Remember, he talked about the fire John the Baptist did. But then Jesus came and he didn't bring fire. John the Baptist was bothered by this. And he asked Jesus, are you really the one? And he's saying, where's the fire? Where's the judgment, Jesus? Where's the justice? Jesus didn't bring fire. But he did bring something else. What did Jesus bring? We see consistently throughout Matthew that Jesus brings forgiveness. Jesus comes with authority as the king, not in order to judge, not the first time, but in order to forgive. Now, just kind of a brief aside, but it's an important one. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance, right? The modern virtue of tolerance is basically live and let live. Don't judge anybody. Never tell somebody else they're wrong. Forgiveness is totally different from that, isn't it? Forgiveness is when I I know you're wrong, you've offended me, and yet I'm willing to let it go. Well, Jesus came with authority to forgive our sins. This is why Jesus' kingdom really can be a blessing. Because Jesus, the king, came to forgive his rebellious people. 
And he can do that because he went to the cross to face judgment for us. See, Jesus comes and satisfies the demands of God's justice so that we can have mercy. We have a problem with justice. We, we need it. We long for it on the one hand because we want the world to be put right, but we can't have it. We run from it on the other hand because we might be found guilty before God, guilty of rejecting God as our king, trying to run life our own way without him. And so we long for it and run from it at the same time. But Jesus came the first time to solve that problem. Jesus came to, to take our condemnation, to bear our punishment, to, to pay our fine, as it were, to be our scapegoat. Jesus died in our place as our substitute in obedience to his Father. And then Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's what we celebrated last week when we celebrated Easter, that Jesus rose from the dead. Because though Jesus was condemned for our sins and so died, Jesus was vindicated. He was declared right because of his righteousness. And so he was raised from the dead. When we believe in Jesus, we are united to him like in a marriage. And what's his becomes ours. His obedience and his righteousness are given to us. They're credited to our account. We are forgiven. Though we have offended God, he is willing to let it go. And yet we're more than forgiven because Jesus' obedience is, is counted as if it were our obedience. So we stand righteous before our Father. When God looks at us, he sees perfect, righteous children whom he loves when we belong to Jesus. What this means is this, that when God does come to judge on the last day, we will stand before our judge clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And our judge will look at us and see not our sin and rebellion, but Jesus' obedience and righteousness. See, by faith, we're not just guilty, not just not guilty before God, but being united to Jesus who is righteous, we, by faith, are positively righteous before our Father. And when God comes to judge, that's what he will see, righteousness. And this is where Jesus' patience comes in. And Jesus in the parable says, wait to root up the weeds until harvest time, the close of the age, right? The final judgment, the last day when Jesus is going to return to judge the world. And Peter, in, in the letter of 2 Peter, he says, people will laugh at Jesus' return. He basically says that people are going to say, oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. Where is the promise of his coming? If he's supposed to come back, where is he? Right? What's taking him so long? And Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, as the master of the field uh, delays the pulling of the weeds to give the wheat time to mature, so Jesus, the ruler of the world, delays the day of judgment to give people time to repent, to enter into his kingdom and to find forgiveness. John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, right, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. And God is giving us time to believe in him, right, to turn away from sin and believe in Jesus to find life. If you want to know why there is so much injustice in the world at the moment, or if you want to know why God doesn't just step in and make everything right right now, the answer is because of his love. He is giving us time to repent. That's a theological word, right? That means confess our sin, turn to Jesus, and be forgiven. God's giving us time. That's why the world is still a mess, because God is giving us time to turn to him before he comes back. 
Another way of looking at it is there are still many people who belong to God, who belong to Jesus, who will repent when they hear the gospel. Once that number gets down to zero, of course, right, then the harvest is ready and Jesus will return. But apparently the harvest isn't ready yet. There are still others out there waiting to hear about Jesus who are ready to repent by God's grace, by his power, by his spirit, right? Ready to repent and so awaiting to, to hear the gospel. God's kingdom has come in Jesus, but not in its fullness. So we might have time to turn to Jesus and find forgiveness. That leaves us with a kingdom, though, that, that maybe doesn't look like much, right? A kingdom that seems to lack power. You know, where's the fire, John says, or, or where's the justice, the rabbi wonders. You know, kings come and fight and put down their enemies with a sword, and Jesus didn't do that. And so it seems like his kingdom isn't much. What kind of a kingdom is this? And that's why Jesus tells the, the other two parables that we read this morning, which talk about the triumph of Jesus' kingdom. And we have to be a bit faster here, but Jesus tells two more parables that we read, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And both of these parables make the same point. There's the parable of the mustard seed on the one hand. Uh, the mustard seed is an extremely tiny seed, but it grows to be a large tree, large enough that birds come and nest in its branches. Uh, the birds likely, uh, because of the Old Testament symbolism in Ezekiel 17 and, and Daniel chapter 4, they, they likely symbolize Gentiles who are coming into or resting in this kingdom tree. But the point of the parable really is that from these small, seemingly insignificant beginnings comes something large and life-giving. The parable of the leaven, similarly, a woman takes some leaven and hides it in three measures of flour until it is all leavened. The word hide, actually, is kind of interesting here because we've been talking about how some people see the kingdom while others miss it altogether. And we've said, and Jesus has said, that God hides it from those who think they're smart. Well, here the woman takes the leaven and hides it, echoing that language, hides it in the flour until the whole batch of dough is leavened. But again, the point is that, that as a small amount of leaven works itself throughout the dough, so from these small beginnings will come a kingdom that will fill the earth. And the main point here is that while the kingdom might not look like much at the moment, while there is injustice all around us, which speaks against the presence of the kingdom, from these small, insignificant beginnings, God's kingdom will come. Jesus is, is promising us, right, that, that though he's being patient in bringing his justice right now, though the kingdom might not look like much, Jesus' kingdom will triumph. The birds will come and nest in its branches. It will work itself out through the whole earth. The question for each of us, of course, is, is are we ready? Are we ready for that day? Are we ready for Jesus' kingdom to come in its fullness? Because when Jesus' kingdom comes, that will mean a day of justice. But of course, justice means a day of judgment. There is, a, there is coming a day when God will judge the world. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, puts it like this. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to confess their sin and turn to Jesus, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the appointed king of God's kingdom, and as such, he's the appointed judge of the world. Jesus is coming back to judge the world. How will you face him then? If you come in your rebellion, you will face condemnation. 
But if you come to him now in his authority to forgive sins, if you believe in his death for sin, his resurrection from the dead, you will be able to face him then in his authority to judge because your sins will be forgiven and you will be clothed in Jesus' own righteousness. And so are you ready, right? Remember, God is giving you time right now to repent. He delights to show mercy to sinners. He loves to forgive sins. Turn to him at this very moment. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for mercy. He will give it. 1 John 1.9 says, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, maybe you're there and, and maybe you've trusted in Jesus long ago. Maybe you're ready for the day of judgment. You're confident, right, that in Jesus you will stand on that day and you, you can face God's judgment without fear of his wrath. Maybe you've entered into Jesus' kingdom. You're, you're presently a servant of Jesus, right? You're a citizen of, of heaven. You're a member of the kingdom. Well, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of justice. And although his, his ultimate justice and judgment is reserved for the, end, for the end, we are called to manifest that justice right now in the way that we live our lives. And so the question for us is, if we are already members of this kingdom, the question for us is, how can we seek to manifest that justice right now? I don't mean by, by judging people, right? That's in God's hands. That's what he's going to do on the last day. I mean, how can you seek justice, right? How can you seek justice in, in your context, in your community, in Champaign-Urbana? Right? What can you do to care for those in need or to provide for those who are less fortunate? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 25 of the final judgment, he says, those who will be ready for the coming of justice then through God's mercy are the same people who are seeking to show justice and mercy now. Where is there injustice around you? Right? How can you be God's instrument to manifest his justice now in time and space, to demonstrate that his kingdom really is a kingdom of justice by the way you live your life as an anticipation right, of that day of justice to come? So that as Amos said, right, we might at least anticipate the day that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Our Father, we do long for that day, a day of justice, a day when this world is put right. There's so much wrong with the world, Father, so much that, that, that impacts us, so much pain and suffering, so much oppression, so much uh, lies and, and killing and, and, and injustice. And yet, Father, we know that to long for justice is to long for the day of judgment. And we know that in ourselves, in our sin, we could not stand in that day. Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us because of Jesus. Forgive us because he went to the cross and took justice for us. He took your judgment. He, he died in our place. Forgive us our sins. And then, and then make us people who manifest your justice, who anticipate it in the way we live, who are, who are, a, who are a foretaste of your kingdom to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.